would, take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. And as you're turning there, uh, we find here in John 13, Jesus is having his final meal with his disciples before he would willingly give himself over to be wrongfully accused, beaten, and then nailed to the cross. And in his final moments with his core disciples, Jesus would speak of being a servant and also talk about his betrayal. Then Jesus would give Judas, the one who was to betray Jesus, the green light to go do what he needed to do. And, when Jesus, and then Jesus would speak to his disciples and give them a brand new, special, world-changing, and distinguishing command before he would die. Let's pick it up here in verse number 34. John 13, verse 34. The Bible says this, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Let's ask God one more time to bless to say. Father, we thank you. We're indebted to you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be here. God, I just pray for our pastor, Lord, right now as he's away and he's encouraging another church. Strengthen him, give him the power of the Spirit to convey your word this morning. God, I ask the same, that, Lord, you would help me to convey and communicate your word clearly to our people here. That, God, we would come away knowing what you would want for our lives and being more in love with you. God, I thank you so much for our people. I just pray that you would bless them. And, Lord, may you be honored and glorified in these next moments to come. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, here in John chapter 13, we find that Jesus gives the command to love. And today's message is entitled, Marked by Love. Marked by Love. And Jesus gives this command to love one another as he has loved us. And by this shall all men know we are his disciples. You see, this command that Jesus gives to his disciples will ultimately distinguish us from others around us. See, this command, if obeyed, if lived out, will prove to show those around us that we are disciples of Jesus. Jesus says, inescapably, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. To love one another is a mark of a disciple. And yet Jesus calls us to this, to be marked by love. And so the question then is then asked, are you marked by love this morning? Are you a person who is known for the way that you love? Are you a disciple of Jesus who loves others? Or are we a people who love ourselves? See, Christians for long periods of time and in our world today have been known for being judgmental, Right? Anyone notice that? Oftentimes in our world today, the natural response to people uh, in the world who don't know what Christianity is about, oftentimes we are labeled to be judgmental, and, and, and some places rightfully so, but not in all of Christianity, but we have been known to be judgmental. We have known, been known to be divisive, and we have known to have had this elitist mentality and we come off as if we're better than other people. 
that's what we've been known for, for the majority of what the world sees around us. And the church of Jesus has for a long time been known for what we are against. Which is fine. It's okay for the world to know what we are against. If it goes against the word of God, then we're against that. But at the same time, does the world know what we are for? See, the Bible gives us a balanced approach to our Christianity where, yes, we're against things, but at the same time, we're for. And so, balance is key, and love is what balances it all out. See, I'm not calling us to compromise this morning. If you're a Christian, I'm not calling to compromise. What I'm calling for is to compassion. See, as Christians, we're supposed to be marked by this love, this balanced type of love, this love that's not about compromise, but it's about compassion. And I'm speaking about the truth. I'm all for the truth. But at the same time, may we never leave out speaking the truth in love, right? The Bible says, speak the truth, but it doesn't stop there. It says, speak the truth in what? Love. And so we as a church, it's not compromising, we're coming to compassion. We can be a church who stands for what is true and also be a church that's who, who loves well. We can be a church that stands for what is true, but be a church who loves well. And here's my prayer. My prayer is that we can be that church, and at the same time, individually, I pray that I would have that as myself, a mark of love for those around us, and that they would see that and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. So what does it mean this morning when we talk about this command that Jesus says to love one another. What does it mean this morning to be marked by love? Well, number one, let's look at it here. Number one, we take in his love for us so that we can give out his love to others. If you're taking notes, take this down. The ability to love well comes through the well of divine love. The ability to love well comes from the well of divine love. 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Let's say that together as a church. Ready? Begin. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. See, to know God is to know love. And when, and when one knows God, then one knows love. So when someone gets God, he gets love. And you and I become those who reach out with God's love to others in hopes of that love being transferred to those who don't know God. This all begins with the understanding that God so loved the world. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's crazy to think that God just didn't love. What did he do? He so loved See, there was an emphasis upon God's love for us, for the world, and that emphasis was that he so loved us. And in Romans 5, 8, he so loved us that he commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand, but are you a sinner this morning? Are you a sinner this morning? Have you sinned this week? Out of the seven days, have you sinned before God? And the answer is yes. We are all sinners. 
We've all sinned before God, but praise God that that sin did not deter the love of God, but God's love for us said while we were yet sinners, while we were in our sinning, guess what his love did? His love still came and it gave us Jesus and guess what Jesus still did? He still died on the cross to give you life. What a love that is. See, when we want to be people who are marked by God's love and live out this command that Jesus gives to us to love one another, we have to first understand the basis of it all, and that is God's love for you. Now, here's the thing. I I was thinking about this message, and I felt kind of just this kind of attack in the sense of, hey, Mike, you're going to preach on love. Guess what's going to happen? People are just going to tune out. You're going to preach about something that's always been preached about, Mike. What are you going to... You're going to really bring that on Sunday? You're going to really just preach on God's love for them? See, here's the thing. If, if we're not careful, we can allow God's love to just be a side note. Do you understand that God's love for you had nothing to do really about what you do or don't do? But that his love was given freely to you. Like you did nothing to get it and you will do nothing to lose it. God's love was already placed, ready, wanting to be given to you. And here's the thing, God never owed us his love. He gave it to us freely, and that's what we call grace. How great is this love that God gives to us? And when a person receives the free gift of God's salvation, when they recognize that they are a sinner, when they recognize that they need Jesus Christ and the payment he had on the cross, simultaneously, right at that moment when a person professes faith in Jesus, guess who comes to live inside of that person? The Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is awesome because the Holy Spirit is just as important as God the Father and God the Son. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the exact spirit of Jesus living inside of you. I love that in John, in in the book that we're at, in the gospel that we're at, in John 14, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, I got to go. All right, it's been great. I love being with you guys, but I got to go. But here's the thing, don't let your hearts be troubled because who I'm going to send to you a comforter, a comforter. But when Jesus was saying that, he was pretty much saying, hey, I'm, I'm going, but I'm actually going to be coming back, okay? So I'm going, but here's the spirit of me to be inside of you. And so we get the Holy Spirit, and guess what the Holy Spirit gets to do in your heart? When you trust Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit, and then guess what the Holy Spirit gets to do in your heart? He begins to manifest these things called fruit in your life. And here's what it says in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Let's stop there. Because if you think about it, it doesn't say fruits. It's not plural. This isn't bunches of fruits. This is one fruit and it all begins with love. Because you cannot have love. You cannot have joy without love. You cannot have peace without love. You cannot have long suffering without love. And all of these other things stem from one thing and that one thing is called love. And so when we get God through Jesus, we get the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus, and then that Spirit of Jesus begins to grow within us the fruit of the Spirit, and that first fruit there, encompassing all of those, is love. And then this, God's love for us becomes the fuel that gives us the ability to love others in radical ways. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, Love one another. He says so because now they have the ability to. He says, as I have loved you. 1 John 4.11 Beloved, if God so loved us, 
we ought also to love one another. Let me ask you a few questions here. Have you ever just thought about his love for you? Have you ever revisited the cross and the price he paid to show his love towards you? Have you ever considered his love, that his love never changes for you? His love for you is set and secure, and it does not change by what you do or you don't do. See, you have no control over the increase and the decrease of his love for you. What's amazing about God's love, and as this week, as I was looking at this and studying and getting this ready, there's one thing I couldn't stop thinking about, I couldn't stop thinking about, which made me really frustrated, is that his love doesn't change. See, naturally, as human beings, our love is very fickle, okay? It's like this, up and down, up and down. Well, I might like that, I may not like that. And, and sometimes we, like, we love people in degrees. Because if a person does something to you, like they're your best friend at the moment, you're like, I love this person, and all of a sudden that best friend does something mean to you, and you're like, I don't really love that person anymore. Your love begins to wane up and down, up and down, and oftentimes it's dictated by the actions of others, and then it's not a set real love. It's not a firm love. But when I look at God's love for me, it's fixed. It's never fickle. It's fixed. It'll forever stay. Paul Washer said this, I have given Christ countless reasons not to love me. None of them changed his mind. Just let that sink in there. You have so many reasons for why Christ should never have died for you. But guess what? It still never changed his mind. How awesome is that? God's love for us. So if God so loved you while you were a sinner, what makes you think his love for you will change when you become a saint? The only change that should be happening is you. As you consider his unchanging love, guess what that does within you? It begins a changing work in you. When you are placed against a love that never changes, guess what that begins to do to you? You begin to see that, wow, there's things I should change in my life. And then you begin to change. And over time, you begin to become more like him. Write this statement down if you're taking notes. When we ponder, meditate, and immerse ourselves in his love for us, we come away with love to give away. We come away with love to give away. Jesus says to us, love one another. Now think about this command, okay? Think about this command, to love one another. It seems simple. It seems easy. It seems hassle-free, problem-free. But the reality is, when you think about it more and more and more, loving others becomes a daunting task. And guess what it does also? It also requires something. And on top of that, you are called to love imperfect people as yourself is imperfect. So think about it. The call to love one another is actually a really hard call. It's really not that easy. In Mark 12, 30 through 31, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Let me give you a few things here. Loving others means sacrifice. 
Loving others means commitment. Loving others means energy. Loving others means time. Loving others means thoughtfulness. And loving others means denying self. Love, loving others, can be a daunting task and and a heavy weight. But when you rest in his love for you, you will find yourself to be well-equipped to love like Jesus. Jesus gives you the command, but he also gives you the power to love. And when you take in his love for you, then you're able to give out that love to others. We are his means of love to this world, to a world full of fake, shallow, imperfect, selfish love. And not only that, Jesus doesn't want you just to love. Jesus wants you to become love. Think about it. Loving others isn't isn't only just an action we do. Loving others is a person in which we become. Because when the fruit of the Spirit is being grown inside of you, it's taking out you and replacing it with Jesus as you become formed to the image of the Son. We are not called to just love people in action, but we are called to become love to others. Question, are you marked by love? Are you taking in what he has done for you, or or has that just become plain? Or has that just become old news? Has that become something you just really don't care about anymore because you're already in? Taken his love for you, what he's done for you while you were a sinner, and allow that to be something you give to others. Being marked by love means we take in his love for us that we can give love to others. Number two, when we talk about this, when we understand that the fuel is God's love for us, then there's two types of groups in which we begin to love. Number, number two here, we love those who are within Let's look at our text, verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another. As Jesus points out, he says to love one another. Now this implies those who were at the dinner table that night, okay? So as we talk about this, we have two groups in which we are called to love. And this first group is called those who are within. At the dinner table, there were the 12, and then it became 11. And then Jesus gives this commandment to the 11, those sitting at the table with Jesus, dining with Jesus, and he says to them, love one another. So obviously what we can find, first of all, is that when God calls us to be marked by love, we love those who are within. And what I mean by that is this, we love those who also love Jesus. We love those who are within the family of God. God's family, God's household. We are called to love those within. In a general sense, the family. God's people are called to love each other. And when Jesus was speaking to the 11, he's saying, listen, Philip, you, you, you got to love, love Luke, okay? And Luke, you better love John, all right? And everyone, please, you got to love Peter, okay? Peter's crazy, right? Out of all the disciples, he was the one that was crazy. But hey, listen, all of you need to love each other because the, only, the one thing that's connecting all of you is me, Jesus. 
See, they were connected by ethnicity. They were connected by friendship. They were connected by occupation. But what made them more connected, what gave them a real connection, was the spiritual connection that they had in Jesus. They were disciples of him. And so Jesus says, love your brothers. God places a high priority on love within his family. If we're honest, there's not a lot of love sometimes in the church between brothers and sisters. See, the body of Christ is not without its relational problems and lack of love. We can also give up so easily on brothers and sisters. We can write them off so quickly, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we display no long-suffering towards each other. Yes, we are imperfect people. But at the same time, we possess the perfect love of God. Everybody in here is an imperfect person. And how do I know that? Because I'm in it, okay? We're all in it. We're imperfect people. And I'm hoping that one day this church, and as we continue, and I believe we do have this type of love, but I want it, well, I'm hoping that we can be a church with this communal love towards one another, that as visitors and guests come in, they can see in a genuine love that the world does not display because the world does not know what true love is. See, if the world needs to know what love is, may it come to the church because the church is the one who has the corner on what it means to love. That's why you and I are called to go into the world to display the love that Jesus has given to us. But if the world can't even find what true love is, it'll make up its own, but it won't ever come to the church. See, God called us to be the ones to display the love. He called us to be the ones. And he says, by this shall all men know. Are we a church like that? Are we a people like that? Are we a people who truly love those around us? But Are we a people who love those who are within the church? You would think that would be the easiest, right? to love those who are within. But yet it's still hard, and it's still not easy. But we have hope to love one another. You know what's amazing about the gospel is that the gospel can set different races, ethnicities, backgrounds, all on one row and say, we're connected. That's what the gospel can do. Why? Because the love of God doesn't see race. The love of God doesn't see stature. The love of God doesn't see any of those things, and yet it leaves a row open and it allows every single person who trusts Jesus as Savior to sit across one another. And guess what? We get to love. At the end of the day, that type of love, love within. Our church is pretty diverse. There's not a lot of one dominant type of race, but it's awesome because we see every different walk of life. And yet that love that Jesus says, love one another, we love each other. And so, we're an imperfect people, but we're called to love one another who are at the table. Pagan, there's a pagan order by the name of Aristides who lived during the time of Nero. He said in a testament to the Christian care and concern, he said this as he was looking at the Christians in his time. He said, if these Christians hear that any one of their numbers is in distress for the sake of Christ's name, they will render all, they all will render aid in his necessity. This guy who cared less about God, didn't care about God at all, this pagan order in the time of Nero. Anyone know who Nero is? Nero's a bad guy, hated Christians. But this guy, Aristides, said from his view, from his perspective, from looking at Christians in his time, 
that any one of those Christians that would be at loss, the Christians would come and help. The Christians would come to their aid. What a beautiful picture of love one to another. May we, if we know anybody in our church that has that type of issue, a loss, that we all come together as a church to open our arms and to love. What a testimony of community, of love for one another. Galatians 6.10, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. To love someone takes thought. Love will be aware of opportunity. Love will be aware of opportunity. 1 Peter 4.8, And above all these things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Fervent love, see past people's imperfections, because what happens is, is we focus on the blemishes and we don't love. I love that verse. Fervent love. That fervent love covers the multitude of sins. When we love somebody with a God love, we can see past the imperfections and truly love that person. Just like how God did, commending his love toward us. Proverbs 10:12, hatred stirreth of strife, but love covereth all sins. 1 Peter 2:2, 2, 2, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Romans 12:10, be kindly affectionate one, toward an, uh, one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, seek not their own honor and respect, but they look to give it to others. See, when we come to church, may we come to church with the, with the passion to want to see others edified, to see the passion of others flourish, see the passion of others become real in their lives, and, and that you and I would come to edify one another. Ephesians 4.2 4, with lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. This calls for us to be patient, not fault-finders, to do all to extend love. 1 John 4:11, Beloved, God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. See, when we take in God's love for us, then we can give our love to others, and then we give our love, love to others, to those who are within our church. Those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, we love one another. And then finally here, not only, not only do we love those who are within, but we also love those who are without. So as Jesus gives the command to love one another in this text, we find he is also referring to those at the table, and at the same time he's referring to those who are not at the table. Look at verse 34, a new commandment, that's the key, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. See, Jesus specifically points out in verse 13 a new commandment, which means that there was an old commandment that pertained to this idea of love. See, the disciples, when they were told the commandment by Jesus, weren't caught off guard with this new commandment. They were very familiar with this idea to love one another. Why? Because in Leviticus, it would tell them that. If they looked at the old law, the law said this, thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So the disciples already knew this was in the commandment, to love others. But they were seeing it in only one facet. They were seeing it in only one way. The idea that they were seeing it was that they only loved those who were the children of Israel. 
only those who were the children of Israel. But then Jesus comes on the scene and he says, no, I'm busting this up. This system of just loving those who are in your same ethnicity, no. I'm saying love one another, but at the same time, love those who are without. I've come to love those who are within, those who are without. And so Jesus begins to break down this type of mentality. And we see in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and I won't read those, but I'll just hasten. Luke, 20, Luke 10, 25 through 37 talks about this. There was, a rule, there was a lawyer, a Jewish lawyer, who came, and the Bible says he came to tempt Jesus. And he asked Jesus the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, have you kept all the commands? And he said, yeah, I've done them. And then he says, and he says, have you loved your neighbor? And he says, yes. And here's what the, the lawyer says to Jesus. Here's the question that he asked. And the Bible says this. He asked, not because he genuinely wanted to know the answer, he asked to justify himself. He says this, who is my neighbor? And Jesus looks at the man and he begins to talk about a parable. He be, begins to talk about, uh, there was a certain man who came from Jerusalem who was going to Jericho and he fell among thieves. And what happened was, he got beat up. This guy got beat up, left to die. And then there were certain people who came his way. The first person was a priest, and he came through, and he looked at the man and kept walking. Then the second person came through, and it was a Levite. He came through, saw the man bloodied, beaten up, and kept walking. The Bible says that Jesus says that then a third person came, and that third person was a Samaritan. Now, if you think about Bible history, Samaritans and Jews did not like each other. There was a prejudice that was there. Jews were pure in their ethnicity, and then the, the Samaritans weren't. They were half-breed of Jew and Gentile. And so the Jews did not like the Samaritans, but yet Jesus makes the hero of the story the Samaritan. And so the Samaritan comes. He sees who, the person who was beaten up, which is a Jew. And when Jesus speaks this, think about the humility that's happening in the heart of these people. We're the ones on the ground. We're the body beaten up. We're being taken care of by Samaritans. The Samaritan gets that person, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the inn, takes care of him, binds up the wounds, pays for everything, shows compassion, mercy, love. And then Jesus then says to this, who was the one that showed mercy? And the Jews had to say, well, it was the Samaritan. And then Jesus, what he did was this, is he shifted the idea of our thinking of, well, who is my neighbor? That whole, that whole question, the intention behind that was, well, I'm loving my neighbor. That's the person that lives right across the street from me. That's the person who has the same ethnicity. That's the person who has the same things that I like. That's the person who has the same faith as me. But no, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The question isn't, who is my neighbor? Jesus was trying to get the Jews to understand that the command that he's giving to love one another means this. Who are you going to be a neighbor to? It means this, that those who are your enemies, you're called to love. It means this, that when Jesus says in Matthew, and he's talking to them, and he gives more of an explanation about the love, he says this, you have heard that it hath been said, this is what you've been grown up to know. Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Isn't that true? All of us have experienced this. We love people who love us because it's so easy. 
We love people who have the same faith as us. But those who don't have the same faith of us, ah, I don't know if I really love them. To love one another doesn't just mean those who are within, but those who are without. What the world needs is a genuine Christian with genuine love, not with some backhanded scheme or strings attached. You know, I found myself to be somebody where I begin to love people in order for them to love what I love. And that's not love. See, loving somebody means you genuinely love them with no strings attached, with no backhanded scheme, with no agenda. You truly love because you love that person. And here's the thing. The love of Jesus is so amazing because he gave his love to us knowing that some will never, ever accept it. But he still gave it. And you and I as Christians, those who we know, just think about it. God's giving you relationships in your life. Those who don't know Jesus, those who are without Christ, he's giving you those relationships. What gifts are those? And yet, do you come into those relationships with true love towards these people? You're the extension of God's love to the world. And are you marked by love? Are the relationships of those people who are lost, who don't know Jesus, do they know that you truly love them? He says, verse 44, but I say unto you to love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, persecute you, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh this sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? What Jesus begins to say later down the passage, it's easy to love those who love you. The world does it. Are you supposed to be like that? No. What he's saying is this. You love those who may never love you. Why? Because that reflects a God love. The love that God had for you, you then give to others. See, Jesus explains to love your enemies, it's a display that you are a child of heaven. See, children of heaven love radically. Those who love one another are known as disciples of Jesus. We are called to love because God has greatly loved us and may we greatly love others. God's love is the answer to a world full of fake love. God's love is the answer to a world full of prejudice and hate. God's love is the solution to strife amongst brothers and sisters. And God's love is the invitation to bring others to the table. May we be a church, may we be a people, who are marked by love. May we love those who are within and those who are without. And may we be known by how we love. 1 John 4:11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. I hope, church, that you'll go out this week and display God's love to somebody. Let them know of God's love. I'm praying that we just don't do it but that we become love over time. We become what God has called us to be, and that is people who love others. Let's pray.